Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, host of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. Today, we're talking about gastroenterology with Dr. Charles Shanna. He specializes in gastroenterology and is in practice at Tuesdale Medical Specialties Associates in Fall River, Massachusetts. He's on the active medical staff at Charlton Memorial Hospital. Dr. Shanna received his medical degree from Yale University School of Medicine and completed his residency in medicine at the Brown University Medical School Affiliated Hospitals. He completed a clinical and research fellowship in gastroenterology at Brigham and Women's Hospital, a Harvard Medical School teaching affiliate. He has served as an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Shanna is board certified in internal medicine and gastroenterology. He's an elected fellow member to the American College of Gastroenterology and a member of the American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy. He is chairman of gastroenterology at Charlton Memorial Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Charles Shana. Thank you for having me. What is a gastroenterologist? A gastroenterologist is an adult medicine physician who specializes in diseases of the intestinal tract. That's everything from the esophagus, the stomach, and the colon. What are the common conditions you see beside irritable bowel syndrome? Um, besides irritable bowel syndrome, we see a lot of reflux disease, uh, what we call GERD. We see patients for screening colonoscopies, uh, people who we screened for colon cancer to prevent colon cancer uh, by removing polyps. We see celiac, which is people who are gluten allergic to gluten. People are gluten intolerant. Uh, we see inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's, colitis, and ulcerative colitis. Are any of these preventable? I guess my real question is, does diet and lifestyle have something to do with this? Some diseases, yes. Others, no. Uh, certainly with something like reflux, uh, there are lifestyle changes you can make to uh, lessen the reflux or for some people even eliminate ref uh, acid reflux. So uh, yes, those are certainly treatable. Although e even if you do that, there are, so there are people who have reflux despite that. Uh, in terms of irritable bowel, there are some dietary changes that we do recommend. And certainly with celiac, people who are wheat or gluten intolerant, completely avoiding gluten will prevent any symptoms. Mm -hmm. So with Crohn's disease, what are some of the dietary recommendations? Well, uh, when someone has active diarrhea, which is uh, one of the problems people get with Crohn's colitis, uh, we recommend avoiding fiber in general. Once Crohn's is under control, uh, either in remission or on medications that are controlling it, you, we find that uh, diet does not play a major role, uh, especially since the some of the medications are so good, it can quiet the Crohn's down so much that it, 
it appears normal on endoscopy and it functions normally. Mm -hmm. So their diet is not a critical factor any, any longer. Mm. What do you recommend for a patient who has a history of stomach ulcer? There are two main things that cause stomach ulcers. Now, in the past, a lot of people would think, uh, well, stress causes ulcers. What we've learned over the years is that the two real major factors are non-steroidals, medicines like Advil, Aleve, Motrin, Ibuprofen. That's a major, major cause. And in fact, when you, if you take any of those medications, there are warnings on the bottle that you can get ulcers from it. The second cause is a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. This is a bacteria that lives in the stomach, something that you pick up during childhood. And at some point in your life, it could be early, it could be later, you can get ulcers. Dr. Shanna, when you work with older adult patients, are there any special considerations in terms of disease or conditions, predisposed conditions? Yes, let's, let's talk about uh, reflux disease as an example. In gastroesophageal reflux disease, uh, which most people will call heartburn, there are predisposing conditions. For example, people who are overweight tend to have more pressure on their abdomen, which pushes on the stomach and allows the acid to squirt back up the esophagus, and they get heartburn. So in fact, if you lose weight, when people lose weight, their reflux can improve. I have seen patients who have lost weight and their reflux has gone away. Other predisposing conditions, uh, if you wear tight clothing, that can increase the pressure in the abdomen. There are foods that make a difference. Uh, we tell people that if they want to reduce the heartburn or, or reflux that they have, that it would be beneficial to reduce the amount of caffeine intake. That can be in coffee or tea or even sodas that have caffeine in them. As a person gets older, are they more susceptible to digestive problems like heartburn? There, there's some truth to that. I mean, I see heartburn reflux in, in young people, even teenagers, and then people who are older. Uh, Their the factor might be a hiatal hernia. For example, hiatal hernia is by definition when some of the stomach is pulled into the chest. Now, the, let me give you some anatomy here. The esophagus, where, the, where we swallow food, what people would call the food pipe, when that goes into the, is connected to the stomach, and that occurs at the, at the level of the diaphragm. So the esophagus is above the diaphragm. The stomach is below the diaphragm. At least it's supposed to be that way. And the, if the opening in the diaphragm gets larger, and that can occur as you get older, some of the stomach gets pulled into the chest. Any part of the stomach that's above the diaphragm, that is what a hiatal hernia is. The reason why that's significant is because the valve that's there, that's supposed to allow food to go into the stomach and then close and stay closed, if it opens when it's not supposed to, then some of the contents of the stomach, particularly acid, can work its way back up the esophagus, and that's how we get heartburn. Please tell us about the work of the South Coast Health Heartburn and Reflex Center for treating GERD. So GERD is G-E-R-D, that's gastroesophageal reflux disease. Now, most people would call that heartburn. 
Although heartburn is what, even though most people feel heartburn, but there's, there are people who actually have no heartburn, but they're having reflux. An example of that would be having a sensation in the back of the throat, or they feel acid in the back of the throat, but not heartburn. They may be clearing their throat. They may have hoarseness. They may even have difficulty swallowing because they have scar tissue from reflux that they're not aware of. That's called silent reflux. So that's GERD is reflux. And then there's heartburn. And then people don't feel heartburn, but are having reflux. And as gastroenterologists, we are generally the ones who are diagnosing it. We are listening to the patient's symptoms, trying to get a sense if this is GERD or heartburn, uh, how severe it is, how to treat it. We have medications for it, some short-term medications, long-term medications, lifestyle changes. But even with all that that we do, some patients don't respond to the medications, and they need something more to be done, like surgery. For example, if they have a hiatal hernia, it can, it can be difficult to manage the reflux. You, we can put people on high-dose medications, and they may not completely respond. When it gets to that point, we think about fixing the hiatal hernia. That's what surgeons do. And there are different kinds of surgeries to do that. There are, and there are patients who don't have hiatal hernias and still have reflux, and they may need surgery also. So the GERD or reflux center at South Coast has developed various surgical techniques, some of them on the cutting edge of GERD treatment. So what are some of the technologies that you have developed at South Coast Health for GERD? So the technologies that the surgeons have developed are something called links. Now, the usual treatment of reflux disease is laparoscopic, which means pinhole-type surgery, where they can fix the hiatal hernia or wrap some of the stomach around the esophagus to prevent reflux. And many of those patients, perhaps most of those patients, don't need to be on medications anymore. And for, for many people, that's a godsend because they don't want to have to take pills. Then there is more cutting-edge type of surgery done at South Coast, and, and many places don't do this because this is really cutting-edge stuff called links, L-I-N-X, where they actually take a ring uh, with magnets on it, which recreates the function of the valve that's not working. And that's minimally invasive surgery by the surgical department at the GERD Center. How often do you use that procedure? We, uh, the majority of patients are treated with the usual medications like antacids or H2 blockers or proton pump inhibitors, only a small percentage, but for them, it's, it's life-saving. Hmm. Dr. Shana, is there anything we can do for prevention of GERD? In terms of prevention, there are lifestyle changes. That will, these include weight loss, avoiding, medi avoiding uh, foods like acid-containing foods, tomato-containing foods, tomato sauces, tomatoes, caffeine. I suggest people reduce caffeine reducing alcohol consumption. These changes, for some people, make the difference between having heartburn regularly to having very little heartburn or no heartburn at all. Is that because of the acid that's in those foods? Some of the foods, like caffeine, will stimulate acid production in the stomach, so there's more acid reflux occurring. The caffeine will also weaken the valve, 
so that acid can work its way back up the esophagus more readily. This seems to be very, very common. I don't know whether it's our country, our culture, our area, but GERD and heartburn and reflux seems to be very common. That is true. And why do you think that is? That's a good question. And a very simple answer. I don't know. Uh, that's just been statistically they have seen that. There are various theories as to that, that it may be related to the increased obesity in the country, uh, maybe in our, our diet-containing more fat-containing foods, our uh, love of caffeine. These are factors that are probably contributing to it. Okay. I'd like to talk about colon health for a minute and colonoscopies, because they are the standard of colon health and preventing colon problems or colon cancer. Talk about that and the need for colonoscopies. It has been shown that colonoscopy is not only diagnostic for colon cancer, and it's probably the, considered the, standard, the gold standard for diagnosing colon cancer, but for the past 20 plus years, we've been doing colonoscopies to prevent colon cancer. We do colonoscopies to look inside and identify polyps. Polyps are little growths in the, in the lining of the colon. And the medical science has shown that these polyps, not perhaps one of them uh, in your colon, can, be the, can grow and become colon cancer. So by eliminating all polyps, we can prevent colon cancer from occurring. And that's one of the great benefits of colonoscopy. The screening age used to be 50. Now they've lowered it to 45 because they've been finding that uh, colon the incidence of colon cancer is occurring at younger ages. So 45 is now the age that colonoscopy is recommended for screening. Right. What about other diagnostics that are not a colonoscopy, that are over-the-counter diagnostics? The, there are two things that are being used these days. One is Cologuard. You may have seen advertisements, commercials on TV, uh, where it it's, uh, comes in a box to your door and you provide a stool specimen. That is something looking for DNA material in the stool that's shed by the colon. Now, polyps and colon cancer shed this genetic material, and a positive test suggests that there's a pretty high likelihood that there is either a polyp or a colon cancer there. That's helpful because it's an easy, non-invasive test, and people, people like that. Even though colonoscopy is still considered the gold standard, there, there are patients who will, just will not have a colonoscopy for any number of reasons, fear of invasive procedures, uh, fear of sedation, uh, or the technical issues that make it impossible to have colonoscopy. Uh, there are other non-invasive tests like um, fecal occult tests. These are stool tests that look for hidden blood. Uh, colon cancers can leak blood. And if you find blood in the stool, it's uh, an indication to look for something that's leaking blood. Uh, and it might be a, a tumor or growth. So the prevention part really is critical. And how many years apart should the colonoscopy be, or does it depend upon your age and your history? 
the standard for colonoscopy is every 10 years. So if you are 45 and you have a normal colonoscopy, you can have, you should have a repeat colon screening colonoscopy 10 years later at the age of 55. Now that changes if polyps are found because if a, a polyp or a growth is found, then, then it should be done uh, sooner. It could be three years or five years or seven years, depending on what the polyp is like, the size, uh, the shape, the difficulty in removing it, um, the, what, it's, what they see under the microscope histologically, because there are different kinds of polyps. So the screening and the colonoscopy can really prevent colon cancer. That's correct. And by how much? How I guess what I'm trying to ask is how important is it for people um, to have these screenings? Very important. You know, there's, there's a lot of cancers out there like lung cancer and prostate cancer, breast cancer. But colon cancer is, is one of the few cancers we can prevent. Uh, and the ability to prevent colon cancer is is very, very good. Uh, but it only works if people actually have the test done. How do you talk to patients when you have to deliver some difficult information? There are two things I do. First of all, I, I encourage them to bring family members, significant others, who can be with them. Because when you provide bad news, it's difficult for patients to digest and accept, and they, they, they can't focus as well. Example, if you use the word cancer, then a lot of times the curtain comes down and patients can't listen after that. And it's helpful to have a loved one who can listen and review the things that I am telling the patient later. The second thing, which is equally important, is I write things down. I have a pad that I use when I see patients, and I draw pictures, I draw diagrams, I take notes for them and I hand it to them at the end so that if they don't remember everything I've said, they can bring it home and review it and see what I was talking about. And I provide them with other resources. And I also make it clear to them that there are things that can be done. And that's the focus of our efforts is not to just feel that the end is near or something terrible has happened, but there's a way out. There's a direction. There's a hope. For most of his life, Dan, from Situate, Massachusetts, has struggled with obesity. Eight or ten years old, I started getting, you know, chubby. By the time I graduated high school, I think I was between 275 and 300. Went on a roller coaster and was ready to go, and they, the guy comes walking up to me. My thighs were so big, he couldn't get the, the latch to, to latch, and I had to get off the ride. Okay, like enough is enough. So Dan contacted the South Coast Health Weight Loss Center. The program as a whole is what was the, the key to me picking them over Boston. And I was a 46 going into 48, and now I'm a 30-inch waist. South Coast Health Weight Loss Center has helped transform more than 6,500 lives. To learn more about how they can help you, too, call 844-744-5544 or go to southcoast.org. I'm living proof to show if you put the work in on anything that you can get what you want. South Coast Health gave me the tools, and here I am, you know, with my health forever. Take impossible, throw it out of your vocabulary. South Coast Health, more than medicine. So question for you, more of a personal professional question, Dr. Shano. Why did you choose this specialty of gastroenterology and why do you love it? 
I don't know, it seemed to have chosen me. Uh, I, I, I just find it to be, the decision is usually made during residency, uh, although even in medical school, I had a strong interest in gastroenterology. It was just so fascinating, so interesting, so much variety. And you can really make a big difference in, in patients' lives. There are some specialties where you can tweak this or tweak that, but, but in gastroenterology, you make some significant changes in people's lives, and it can be life-saving. Hmm. What's the most rewarding part of your work as a physician and a gastroenterologist? I do like doing colonoscopies. I mean, I, I just know that uh, it, uh, they go well. Uh, the patients are, tend to be nervous when they come in, but we take care of them. They, they sleep for about 20 minutes. We do the colonoscopy. They wake up. They can't believe it's done. They feel quite good, not dopey. There's no pain. And I will tell them, look, I took out polyps. You know, we've just prevented uh, colon cancer from occurring. That's very gratifying. What advancements do you see in gastroenterology today that you think will affect the future? Good question. Um, I think the, the major changes will be in the treatment of Crohn's colitis, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. There has been an explosion of advanced medications in treating, controlling, putting colitis into remission and controlling it. 20 years ago, there was maybe one medication. Now there's seven or eight biologic medicines. There are new medicines that are being um, developed that are in pill form, which is a real advantage. Uh, every year, uh, there are there the the growth has been exponential in, in the in the treatments, and this has been um, really life changing for many patients with inflammatory bowel disease. What would you like to leave our listeners with today about gastroenterology, about the esophagus, about GERD, about heartburn, about the colon? What are your closing thoughts? Uh, let me just say that, that the internists and family practitioners we have at South Coast are very, very good, and they will review your entire health care. And they're, they're also trained to take care of intestinal issues, but when the issue seems to be a little more complicated or more severe than they feel they can handle, they're very good about sending the patient to the gastroenterologist like myself to carry the ball and diagnose the more serious diseases, evaluate them further and treat them. So the first source should be your South Coast physician. And we work hand in hand with them. They call us, we text each other, uh, we communicate through the computer. We have a pretty close relationship with our, with our internists and family practitioners. And they deal with the, the entire body and all the medical issues. So they can direct you. They, when, when they feel there's something that's more complicated and needs our expertise, they're very good about sending patients along. Uh, so that's, that's what I'd like to end with. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Shanna, for a great interview on gastroenterology. That wraps up this edition of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. 
please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.